the only show focused on stars' improvement strategies and the leaders who implement them. This is the Rising Stars with Rex Wallace Show, brought to you by Hyperlift. Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Rising Stars. We're uh, we're doing something special today. We're we're filming this live, so thanks to our studio audience for joining us for the first time. Um, you know, we typically record these and then publish the recording a bit later. But today, our topic is is really hot off the press, and we wanted to get this conversation out there with without any delay. Um, quick housekeeping uh, to the people that are joining us live: there is chat functionality, so feel free to ask questions along the way. We'll we'll address those as we can. Um, so back up episode 10 of season one, we had a couple of really, really bright guests, um, Jessica Asafa, chief quality officer at Israel health plans and David Dodge, director of Medicare operations and stars at Cambia health solutions. You know, we, we talked about plan preview too. It had come out. We were addressing the, um, the, uh, you know, kind of all the interesting elements of the cut point changes. And, and as part of that conversation, we looked ahead at the upcoming 2023 star ratings release. That's where we are today, right? Start 2023 stars came out last week. Um, still hot off the press. Still, be, honestly, still being digested. I see kind of new nuggets on, you know, on LinkedIn every day on something new that someone kind of discovers in there. So we wanted to uh, to make today's conversation focus on that. So let's get to it. I'm going to bring back on Mick Toomey, um, our co-host and CEO of Hyperlift, our sponsor. Mick, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. And then our guests, uh, returning guests from uh, episode 10 of season one. Um, that sounds so legit when we say that, right? Uh, <laughs> Jessica Asefa and David Dodge. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being back with us. Yeah, happy to be back. Likewise. So, you know, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll kick us off here, right? So um, one of the, you know, one of, one of the things that popped out at, at me as soon as 2023 stars came out, the fact sheet and digging into the data you know, was the percentage of plans, percentage of contracts that are that are that are four plus stars. You know, historically, 49, 50 percent last year, definitely an anomaly with all the better of jumped up to almost 70 percent. You know, this year we, we thought I definitely thought it's going to be, you know, down closer to 50 than 70. And it was 51 again. So 51 percent. So. I guess did, did that match your expectations and and um, as far as the percentage of plans that, that achieve four? Jessica? For me, it was a little bit above um, what I expected as well. You know, I kind of expected more of that return to baseline, looking at some of those, um, you know, looking to match parallel with some of those statistics we saw in 2021. And it wasn't quite as quite as scary, quite as ugly as we thought, but still larger declines than we've seen in years. I mean, they don't begin to match the the normative increases we saw last year, but definitely bigger declines than I've ever seen in the star ratings. And I think that, you know, I think the plans in the four-star range kind of came back, right, to about what we expected. I was frankly surprised at the number of five-star plans that still existed this time. You know, I think we all expected a bit more of a drop um, from the 74 down to probably closer to that 20-ish range to be in line. So that was a tad surprising. Yeah, that in my mind, Mick, is, is there's this sort of breakaway theme, right, as we're all sort of going through and digesting the data. And it's the way that the five-star plans have really 
just kind of separated from the rest of the group. Um, there's greater proportion of five-star plans than we've seen in the past. A um, lot of familiar names, right, um, that all of us uh, who uh, pay pretty close attention to stars mm-hmm. have seen before. But it's just a it's a larger group than what we've seen previously. Um, and and that was something that that caught my eye as well. I think that's also something that's uh, driving a lot of the you know cut point growth where we're seeing cut point growth. Well, I think so, you hit on something interesting there when you said that kind of breakaway, right? Mm-hmm. You know, again, you know, we're we're always looking at uh, reward factor thresholds, things like that. You know, when you're looking to optimize, right? And if you look historically, you know, there there have been kind of a 10, 15 basis point range for the means for the 65 and 85s. And we obviously saw a big jump last year for Stars 2022. We were expecting it all to come back down in a more of a normal range this time. And most of them did, right? But the the 85% mean threshold for reward factor without QI uh, stayed pretty high, much higher than it's ever been outside of Stars 2022. So that supports that, that theory that you've got around them really kind of spreading the gap between kind of the haves and the have-nots in terms of the five stars are really starting to differentiate that score. Yeah. Speaking of the have-nots, you know, I I was just shocked to see how many contracts dropped below that three-star level this year. That's something I didn't expect to see. I think there was a total of, I'm correcting me if I'm wrong, I don't have the fact sheet in front of me, but 41, I want to say, contracts, right? Right. Yeah. That dropped below three stars, which is huge. You know, I looked back just to 2020 and I've never seen more than five or six with an overall rating below three stars. So that's enormous. And especially in the wake of the the recent final rule from CMS, you know, that says if any contract drops below three stars at the overall part C summary or part D summary or any combination of the three for two years in a row will be um, disallowed to, to expand any contracts under that legal entity or, or open new contracts. And I think that's going to be huge in, in, a, in an era like now where all these MA contracts, you know, a, a good number of them are about expansion and growth. So it'll be interesting. And the point you bring up about, yeah, I think the point that you bring up about any, any contract in that legal entity is mm-hmm. really impactful for some of those, those larger national organizations where you have a whole lot of contracts, you know, within one legal entity. And if these are dropping off, what kind of an impact does that have on you much more broadly than just one contract? Correct. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I was in, in that same bucket. I was really surprised at the the number of those contracts that are SNPs, which is disproportionately high of those, those 41, it looked like 31 of those um, below three star contracts were SNP plans which was just huge. And, and it's not because um, SNP plans, there were more SNP plans in the mix. It was a pretty even mix between rated plans, mm-hmm. SNPs and non-SNPs. So that was shocking that only, you know, of that 41, only only 10 are non-SNP plans. So it makes you wonder if um, if the, the CAI adjustment, the CAPS case mix adjustment, if some of these methodologies um, they, you know, just like the star ratings program, they, they probably weren't designed to take COVID type impacts into effect in, in their efforts to level the playing ground between SNPs and non-SNPs. And I mean, we'd have to look into it more, but I'm wondering if we're seeing some of that play out in this disparity. That's, that's where my head goes is, is the, the COVID impact on the SNP members and that, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, that, that makes sense to me intuitively, right? That, 
that they would have more social risk factors, more transportation insecurities, more, mm-hmm. you know, all, all kinds of insecurities that would make it harder for them to access care. I mean, we, we, I think we know that intuitively and I think it seems to be playing out, you know, in the, in these kind of the, the tail end of this COVID, the COVID impact where disaster relief goes away and all of a sudden it's like, it's like we've squeezed the balloon in the middle, right? Like last year, everyone was kind of four and four and a half. And now there are fewer four star plans, fewer three and a half star plans. I think fewer four and a half star plans, um, but still 57 five star plans and 41 two and a half and two star plans. So it's, it, it literally, it, it feels like we're, we're, we're creating separation. Um, and I don't want to say it's because of the, like the disaster relief going away, um, like that's not the reason in in, in my head, right? That was a, a gift last year. I say a gift. I mean, it was it was needed to you know for for many plans at least to kind of overcome the impact of the disaster that we were under the pandemic. But but now um, I don't think it's just that going away that's creating the separation, right? There are there are just inherent challenges. Well, I, I think there's some inherent challenges with with COVID, but I wonder too, like our plans just getting distracted and taking their eye off the ball. Did, 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 did last year's relief give them a sense of, you know, kind of lull them to sleep a little bit um, and make them think they don't have to do as much. Or I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't want to think that if I'm sitting in a plan's shoes, like I, I would never think that, but you know, how, how, how do you attribute this huge separation that exists today? It's possible. Go ahead, David. I've been, I, I've been proposed your turn. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with any of the um, uh, hypotheses, Rex, that you put forward. I think that we all acknowledge, right, that the special needs plan population is just more challenging to work with. Um, what I would imagine is happening uh, or will be happening here is a, a I, I mentioned that for plans that have multiple contracts, it's all about being tight. Right. It's one of those things where it's not necessarily about maintaining five stars unless you've really figured out what to do with it. Instead, it's it's bringing your plans in closer um, so that you're sort of avoiding um, some of the risks uh, that Jessica, I think, highlighted really well. Um, Some of those risks of two years, um, sub three stars. Right. Um, At the same time, I think that plans that are looking at um, expansion into it into additional contract types. Right. If you're if you're typically a PPO or an HMO plan, something like that. I think when we look at these results, you may have hesitation in terms of pursuing that special needs plan, Um, certainly within the same legal entity. You may have hesitation in terms of uh, pursuing that Part D standalone plan um, because of the risks associated with uh, running for you know two years in a row at, at sub three stars and, and the implications that that could um, uh, pretend. And so the thing I'm thinking about is keep it tight, right? Um, it's one of those things where plans that can really do something with a five-star rating um, uh, have probably been accustomed to um, five-star ratings in the past. Last year, um, it was something that was relatively easier for plans to reach. I think that going forward, it's going to remain um, difficult, but there's more protecting against downside risk um, in the same way that we've thought about, um, you know, maintain that four star rating in the past, um, especially with the the quality bonus payment and um, how challenging it can make um, in terms of producing subsequent bids. I think now when we think about our expansion hopes, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're looking to do that we may be forbidden from doing, um, if we have that two-year history on, on one of our contracts, I think that's going to spell kind of a, a somewhat different game type two strategy. And this is beyond just the stars league in your organization, um, but it's going to take those stars leaders and the, the product leaders um, really working together to make sure that you're maintaining stars in service of the product. 
I, I wonder too, you know, if um, some of that, I'm just thinking as we're all talking, if, so, you know, that, that same COVID relief that masked some decline in performance for stars, you know, this, this also could have delayed the effects that we're going to feel <clears throat> from that two year runway from having below, below two stars, sure. because everyone performed so well last year, there was very few contracts, even with the CRD summary, right below, below two stars. And this year, you know, 25 that were three stars overall, but had a C or D summary rating below three stars in addition to the 41 that had their overall. And all these folks have strike one, right? So I'm wondering next year in this next coming star year, we're really going to see that compounded. And that might be what we're all sitting talking about, um, you know, when we when we do season two, episode one, right? <laughs> season <laughs> you know, three. I, I think I think season three. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think you hit on some interesting things there because I do think that there's a bit of a delayed effect. You know, when we look at, we look at plans, you know, there are some that achieved new levels of ratings in stars 22, right? You know, really benefited from uh, the better of methodology, but you know, a lot of our customers did not take much advantage of the better of. And, and I think that, to your point, Rex, does contribute a little bit to that <clears throat> that uh, disparity in ratings that we're seeing now when, when that's going away, because those plans that really kind of kept on it are still going to be up there. Those that had really took advantage of better of, um, I think that goes to Jessica's point about kind of a delayed effect. If you relied too heavily on that, it's now coming to light. And frankly, all of this, no matter who you are, you know, next year we're going to have Tukey. And I think that there's, frankly, there's still a lot of lack of detailed understanding of what Tukey's going to do to your contract. Um, seeing the impact there, and if you have some of that delayed impact that you're talking about, Jessica, then when you combine that with the impacts of Tukey, uh, I think that to your point, the call this time next year is going to be really interesting and and kind of shocking. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think you know the taking advantage of the better of last year for the plans that did that a lot. They had those measures removed from their improvement measure eligibility right this year calculation, and that those improvement measures. You know, that's another thing that jumped out at, at me was. The, the national average star for the improvement measures fell tremendously, more than any other measure. So part C, they both fell, so they both fell from around, well, so, so part C, I have it right here. Part C fell from, um, from 3.7, or the health plan QI measure fell from an, a national average of 3.7 last year to 2.6 this year. So over a star, down in the two and a half star range, Part D, so the drug plan QI fell from 4.2 down to 2.7. So, and again, down in the two and a half star range. And I mean, I can't help but wonder, and I haven't done all the analysis yet, but did the plans that benefited from better of, they got the lift, but not only did they get a lift, but they then they got a kick down they got kind of knocked down this year because they got the lift last year um because their improvement measure probably underperformed because those measures were taken out i don't know that for a fact but intuitively that's that's where my head is but you guys have is that what you think do you have a reaction to that or other you ones? know 
I, I think those two improvement measures are entirely in the eye of the beholder, right? Because if I'm, I mean, I've, we've had experience in the past where you're kind of right on the edge as a three and a half star um, plan and then improvement itself, right? You get um, a couple five star improvement measures and my goodness, what that can do to sort of get you over the line into a four star rating. Um, that said though, the two most uncorrelated measures to a plan's overall rating, I was looking at this last night, are health plan improvement and drug plan uh, improvement. And it's one of those things where it just doesn't have much bearing um, from to the five-star organization in terms of you know the impact of those measures. Um, next sure. would be uh, reducing the risk of falling, right? And we're back to a, a pretty well-established debate in terms of um, what validity is there in those um, health outcome survey measures. I, I really do applaud what CMS is up to in terms of trying to add more um, uh, signal and remove remove the noise um, from those from those host measures, um, but yeah, health plan and drug plan quality improvement were the least correlated with um, overall plan rating, followed by reducing the risk of falling, and then I think monitoring physical activity. Interesting, huh? Yeah, I was surprised. Even I mean, on a slightly related topic, just to even see those the the drops, I didn't expect that in those two host measures and. Um, falls and bladder. And it just kind of brings my head back to this SNP underperformance. I'd like to go back and just look of all these SNP plans that that dropped so much more than expected this year. How many of them, the SNPs are usually the plans that perform disproportionately higher in some of those HOS measures. And I wonder if um, during COVID, if increased frailty and increased issues, increased health issues during COVID maybe led to some decline in those measures for the SNPs and, and brought the overall down with it. And maybe access to care challenges because some of those those hosh measures are dependent upon having a conversation with your doctor, right? True. And, and them giving answering them giving you guidance around falls prevention or increasing activity, et cetera. So if they weren't able to see their doctor, and and maybe they didn't have you know um, as 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 good of access to telehealth or the abilities to have you know those telehealth visits that maybe the non DSNP the non SNP members were able to have. Mm-hmm that could create some disparity, I, I would think too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think absolutely. the importance of making sure, yeah, these DSNP members have access, right? Like, and if, if they can't do it in person, then we have to equip them with the technology to to uh, to, to, to do it virtually. Um, or these measures and a lot of other measures are, are going to tank, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the CMS has provided us a wonderful pathway by which to do that, right? So I can't remember the the name of the, the program itself, but CMS is offering connectivity assistance and technological devices um, to individuals that are low income. So, and they've sent us all recently, I'm sure we all read the HPMS memo, but it's it's getting that into the hands of the right folks, right? And, and breaking that HPMS memo down into simple steps that could be made into Member, member mailers or dropped off at provider offices where we have large and you know large numbers of of low income individuals that they can get their hands on that or through care coordination right definitely yeah hey back so back to the um so i feel like we've 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 talked um about those low performing plans and a lot of them are snips um you know, um, and I, and I guess, you know, the, there are, there are articles out now, the news continues to come out, but even back to the, 
the past performance kind of impacting your ability to expand? I mean, I know, mm-hmm. you know, from the national level, I know, I know Centene is, you know, definitely in the news there from a, they, I think they dropped from 45% of members in four star plans down to 3%. So, um, and they have, I think a host of those sub three star plans as well. Right. 24. Um, <laughs> so clearly and the only reason I bring them up is because they're so big and I wonder about them, you know, skewing, skewing the data, um, and making it like, I guess my question is how much of this is, is, is sort of Centene versus the industry. Do you guys have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. They, they do of, of those 41, they, they do make up over half, right? 20, 24 of those, um, I think 19 of their contracts were SNPs. And then, but when I, when I look across the other health plans that, that make up pieces of, of those below three-star contracts, there's a few, I think um, there's Elevance has, has four, United had four of Elevance, all were SNPs. United, I think two were PPO when they had a SNP. And then the other seven were kind of spread across different health plans, but um, all, all the rest of those were SNPs as well. So even though, like you say, we've definitely got, you know, this big national skewing the data, we're seeing kind of that same same theme play out among the others that contribute to the other half of, of that low performance this year. Jessica, I, I really appreciate you sharing um, very familiar names um, who are, are in that position just because I think it's really going to challenge the landscape. We don't run a special needs plan at, at Cambian, so can't really speak from um, experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I'd mention is, you know, it, it's easy to imagine sort of the tale of two counties aspect of this tied to your special needs plan rating, right? Um, if you're yeah. in an ACA capped county, um, it'd be one of those things where the implications tied to running your special needs plan business may be limited. If you're in a double bonus county, my goodness. Um, um, it can be a tremendous swing, especially after the 2022 star ratings. And so um, I, I mention it, we um, have seen some great studies coming out in terms of kind of map of the U.S. and um, how plans have fared and how um, certain states are faring right now. I think there's a, um, Jessica, I think you showed the, the Wakely article um, by that team there who pays pretty keen attention to what's going on on stars. Um the thing that matters there, though, is, you know, which counties, right? Um, because that's something that really um, affects a plan's ability to be um, competitive in their 2024 bids. Absolutely. Counties and locations are, are huge. And, and you told the tale of North and South, um, I think, in our, our prior episode here, where just that huge disparity between those yeah. rurally located and, and those with more access but I think even more so, and, and just my experience in working with SNPs a, across the country, I, I see like the state that that SNP is located in making a huge difference in how well that, that state does in coordinating Medicaid and Medicare services. You know, there are states like Minnesota where they're mostly, they may all be, I don't know, but mostly FIDA SNPs and highly coordinated. And it's a really streamlined process for the member with one card versus multiple and one person coordinating the care, one person maintaining long-term supports and services, you know, through that elderly waiver versus, you know, states like Oregon, where I, where we're both in right now, David, where it's super, super fragmented, right? Medicare and Medicaid are kind of doing their own thing and you have multiple players all hitting the member with the same asks from different directions. 
Yeah, I mean, it presents an opportunity, right? It pre- pre- presents an amazing opportunity in terms of um, kind of joining forces. The, one of the things I really enjoy about um, quality work generally is there's really not competition, right? We're serving the same community um, kind of a thing. And, yeah. and I think that there's a lot of opportunity in terms of sort of following those states. And yeah, Minnesota um, jumps out. I know up in the Northeast, um, we've got sort of similar characteristics about um different uh, stakeholders being together in the name of the community. And I think that that's going to be something that will become increasingly uh, crucial for the sake of just, you know, operating these um, businesses successfully. Definitely. Definitely. Coordinating care is huge. Yeah. Hey, um, we've, we've, uh, one of the other things that they that was in the fact sheet that was interesting that I want to, I want to spend a minute on is because we've in Jessica, you mentioned some of the, you know, some of the plans that, um, specifically, right, and like the Uniteds and Elevens and mm-hmm. and uh, plans like that. So that makes me think about the for-profit versus non-profit, right? Mm-hmm. And and this was a pretty interesting, I thought, a bullet in the um, or paragraph in the in the um, in the fact sheet that hasn't always been in there. I think they started putting there the last couple of years, right? But to show the 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 variance between for-profit plans and non-profit plans. And the, the stat this year is that 72% of non-profits are four stars or higher. 43% of for-profits are four stars or higher. So, you know, I mean, almost a 30-point difference. And I guess where where my head goes there is sort of the um, the objective of, of kind of doing this work, right? And and if you're, and I'm totally assuming, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally, every for-profit plan is going to go, you know, you're totally projecting that on us. Like, that's <laughs> not what we, that's not how we behave. That's not how we talk in meetings. Um, and I, I totally get that. We work with, you know, plenty of for-profit plans and non-profit plans. And, and I'm not saying that for-profit plans are inherently, you know, evil and just in it for profit. But when there is that stake and there is, there are shareholders and there, there is, the objective, at least on Wall Street, you know, to to make profit. Um, I mean, it 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 feels like it's plain. It feels like it, it does exist, right? Like that, or at least it creates a variance. It creates um, maybe it makes it more difficult. Maybe the message doesn't resonate with as many of your stakeholders as if you were a profit, a, a nonprofit entity. Um, what whatever it is, I mean, I think it's clearly showing up in results. Thirty percent more nonprofit plans achieve four stars or, or higher than than for-profit plans and i and i guess you know one of the takeaways for me is the importance at least in stars right for the stars leader in those organizations to make sure that's not the objective that is kind of present in the star steering committee and like our objective is to maybe it's to make quality you know to earn quality bonus payments so we can invest back into benefits and and um, make our members have, you know, um, better care and, and we, and we can grow that. I think that's, that's okay. But I think there is that challenge for a stars leader to make sure at a for-profit company that that is not our objective here. Right. Or, or we're not going to succeed. Yeah. It is an objective, right? It's, it's a cost containment is a leg of the stool, right. Of, of the the three legged stool. But I think I, I hear what you're saying, Rex. And I, I think maybe for a stars leader, um, a step taking that a step beyond what you said, making sure that you're connecting the dots, 
for all those entities, right? And you're showing clearly how investment in quality, investment in experience, investment in people's health um, reduces, you know, MLR, improves star ratings, leads to increased finance, right? That you can hope we'll do the right thing with moving forward, but but just kind of connecting all those puzzle pieces for folks. Yeah, Rex, do you recall? I, I think that you mentioned um, this has happened in in this year's um, announcement. Um, was it featured last year? Do you recall that sort of distribution? Yeah, it was more like um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was the the for profit. This year, forty three percent. Last year was something like sixty six percent. I think it was it was in the mid sixties. I think so. It was definitely higher. And I wonder about you know again like the centene impact on that because of the the big drop they've had. Maybe you know um, uh, I think CVS you know had had a, a sizable drop um, in their uh, four star plans as well, right? So um, clearly there was some impact on that, but. Still, I believe there's even historically maybe a at least a ten point difference, if not if not. Interesting. Yeah, I I think that the reason why that arose um, in terms of sort of examining things from that perspective was just congressional interest into the role of private equity in healthcare. Right. And um, there's we've seen a noted increase in that congressional interest just over the last maybe couple of years, something along those lines. And so um, I appreciate seeing things in that fashion. At the same time, I, I'm going to data geek on this one and would love to control for other features, right? Would love to control for um, state of um, the the quality movement within a given service area where the plan's working. Um, age of that contract, I think that we've got to pay attention to um, just the sheer quantity of uh, MAPD and, and uh, Part D standalone um, contracts that we have today, because um, that's something that could be sort of, you know, driving the story there. I think gone are the days when it used to be the case where longevity was such a key indicator of, of success in star ratings. I think that somebody can come on and in their first year of receiving a rating can achieve a four plus star rating. Um but I, you know, I, I agree with where Jessica's coming from. I can tell you that within the walls of the, the not-for-profit where I sit, um, the goal is achieving on stars, demonstrating, you know, customer service. Who wouldn't want to be five stars on customer service, right? The other one, that, the measure right. that I saw that was most correlated with um, overall rating, rating of healthcare quality. Talk about a succinct summary measure in terms of an overall rating. And um, I appreciate that. And we can wring our hands and surely we will on the fact that it's subjective assessments of rating of healthcare quality. And there's a bunch of uh, from the yeah. cap survey of all measures, right? Something yeah. from the cap survey is the most highly correlated with high yeah. performance. Um, but then of course, part of that too, is it counts more than it used to. Right. Um, and, and so it, it, it sure, yeah. can determine the overall result just because, um, CAPS measures are quadruple rated, but it comes down to that. And so I, I think the doing good uh, for the population that we serve, right? Um, these are seniors. These are the disabled. Um, who wouldn't want to go down that path? And then thinking of the quality bonus payment as an option to do more good um, through growth, the quality bonus payment as an opportunity to really dig into supplemental benefits, especially the sustainable kind that resonates with members. And I think that we're all going through trying to figure out uh, exactly what that means. Yeah. And then the really fun bit, um, Jessica, I'm sure you can share with this, is removing barriers. That work is a blast, right? That's one of the most meaningful aspects of the work that we all get an opportunity to do, no matter really kind of where you sit. I feel in, a, in an MA plan, don't necessarily have to be a, a, a star's lead. Sure. And the opportunities are there. Uh, as we talked about in the last episode, and I think Jessica and I both kind of related to this, this notion of 
value-based care is um, picking right back up again in, in urban areas, um, but we're not seeing that from a rural perspective. And so then um, that's leading to, I think, really meaningful work along the lines of service access for um, people who've retired or who've always lived in, uh, in, in rural areas. Yeah. And, and to your point too, um, you know, Rex, just going back to making sure that we're we're communicating this up to leadership and, and to folks that make the financial decisions within our organization and connecting those dots. Sometimes, and it can happen in any health plan, but in a for-profit too, there's when, when we lose quality bonus dollars, when we lose rebate dollars, there's this knee-jerk reaction to, to cut costs where we can, right? And sometimes we, we make decisions... Yeah by cutting, you know, new member newsletters and, and services and things like this, services maybe that we were able to put into place because of those QBP dollars with the 2022 star ratings being, being so advantageous and, and being really careful that leadership understands the downstream impact of pulling those things back that members have come to see as benefits or that help us connect to, to our members in a meaningful way. Definitely, yeah. And, and kind of related to all of that, and, and, and Dave, what you said earlier, too, about kind of gone are the days that, you know, um, even new plans, right, like don't achieve four plus stars. Like, I know we had cases this year where, like, I know Devoted showed up on the, the list of high performing plans, right, where high, or the high performing icon where, you know, they had a five star plan that they got its first ever rating. Um, you know, that's that's not not common. Right. But and I think you talked about this even in our in episode 10, right, where you know, things are changing and, 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 and new plans are maybe climbing the learning curve a little bit more quickly um, than before, or at least some of them. Well, are. we better <laughs> shout out to uh, attendee. We saw him announce himself in the chat, Josh Edwards, who's over there at Devoted. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a pretty impressive feat um, in terms of what they've been up to yeah. there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's an ever-changing dynamic, right? Um, and, and right now we see, um, just a ton of plans out there. Uh, we're seeing the breakaway. I, I, I feel like as a group, we sort of identified those two themes. There's the five-star breaking away, and then there's the sub-three-star kind of breaking away, right? And then Nick exactly. uh, yeah. can't help but bring back the way in which, oh yeah, Tukey's going to throw that all into disarray as well, right? Um, <laughs> you know, don't count on anything from these results just because uh, it, it's that'll be redistributive, right? In in terms of the, the impacts of Tukey. And so eager to see uh, Mick, what your team is putting together around, you know, impacts of, of uh, Tukey. Um, also eager to see any uh, simulated results from CMS, just, just so that we can understand how these results that we just received um, last week would have played out were Tukey in place. Yeah, we're we're get we're putting that analysis together on our side, not knowing when CMS is going to re, um, release theirs. But, you know, going back to something you said earlier, David, about the the QI measures being the least correlated, to to a degree that makes sense to me, right? Because if you think about the five star measure, anywhere up the four and a half five stars, it's really hard to continue to improve at levels with all the measures to get you up to five stars, right? But if you're down in the, the two and a half, three star, you do have more of a shotgun approach where you can generate bigger gains across the board. And so to me, there's a bit of logic that just says sure. you are more likely to have higher QI scores if you're on the lower end than the higher end. Sure. Does that resonate with you guys? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, and to your David and Mick, to both of your points, um, with with Tukey coming on, I think it's so so important. I think most health plans are used to either 
kind of doing this guesswork and, and projecting cut points like, okay, we'll just bump it up a couple points per cushion or using prior year cut points because there's usually not that big of a difference. I think it's more important than ever that, that we have an accurate measure stick um, for our progress this year, that we're measuring against cut points with mean resampling, with the two-key methodology, with these things incorporated um, into our cut point projections, um, or we're going to be caught flat-footed in star year 2024. I, I think you're absolutely right. And and actually, we should take this opportunity to say this again out loud. The, you know, because I think that there's a lot of belief that the 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 guardrails are going to protect yeah. everybody and we're not going to see the big moves. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of really smart people out there. And the 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 biggest misunderstanding that we've seen is that the guardrails, the five percent is going to be attached to the actual stars twenty twenty three cut points. And that's not the case, right? You know, like 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 you pointed out, Rex, about the mean resampling in the stars twenty twenty two. The cut points are going the the basis for those guardrails are going to be the stars twenty twenty three cut points with Tukey applied, and so that's going to be a very different number. So for those plans that are thinking, all right, not going to go up more than five points from stars twenty twenty three, that could be a bit of a rude awakening oh, yeah. and uh, something that they're going to want to focus on. Absolutely. I think Mick had to explain that to me three times. By the third time I got it, <laughs> I threw up in my mouth a little bit. It was yeah, really. Yeah. And, and she didn't even believe I me. know. I had to go <laughs> look Remember? it up. You said you go find it. Like, all right, you're right. She had to go find that one, that one <laughs> sentence in the final rule from She's three like, years I ago. I right? believe you, but this is hard. Yeah. 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 I'm a believer. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one more question and then, and then I want to like allow you to like, Think about if we haven't talked about something that we should have, and we'll and we'll we'll kind of do a wrap here in a second. But but one thing we didn't spend much time on that I want to at least and David, this is probably more to you, but if but but Jessica and Nick, if you have insights here too, but I know David has talked about this over the last few days. But the five star plans we have, you know, a lot more than I thought we would have mm -hmm. at fifty seven. Right? I thought we'd be down closer to twenty. I thought most of the people that they got it last year that, that have never gotten it before. I, I thought most of them would lose it and fall back to four and a half at least, but we still have 57 plans that are five-star plans. Um, you know, and, and again, we we're seeing some new plans like devoted. We're, we're seeing some mature plans that are just, you know, have worked really, really hard. And, you know, and like, you know, Cigna has a huge contract as five stars for the first time. Blue cross Tennessee has a, um, you know, their biggest contract is five stars for the first time. Um, Lots of hard work over years and years, you know, select health a couple of years in a row now at five stars. So like, like we're familiar with some of these five star plans, um, but there are a lot more than I expected. And I'm curious about, um, so we don't have the COVID relief. We don't have the disaster relief from COVID, but we have some disaster relief from the Texas winter storm, which I was part of, by the way, and Mickey were too, I think. Right. Uh, a few days of no electricity, so I completely understand like the lack of access for a few days there that that, that disrupted a lot of seniors. But then Hurricane Ida too. So you know, there's mm -hmm. a, a few states that are impacted by Hurricane Ida. So those plans that are impacted, I know, got disaster relief for for virtually all measures, just like most, just like everyone did last year for COVID. But do you have a feel for like how many of these five star plans got five stars because of that disaster relief from those two events? I don't know if you know that yet, or that's something, you know, we can continue to dig into, but 
it's definitely top. Yeah, I mean, I, I was taking a look at the the data tables that I think probably everybody on this call, everybody watching this video um, takes a look at as well. And when you look at that summary tab, you can see this. And so if you filter on five-star rating, um, you can see who had the who met the percentage threshold in terms of 2021 experience to get that. Recalling from memory, it was maybe four or five of those plans, right? And so- um, Okay. 10% or less, right? Who received it. And so it's not a theme. It's more of the, uh, it's more of the exception this year is as we've got our first year of got it. what's starting to feel like new normal can't claim back to normal, but of what's starting to feel like new normal. And then of course, um, yeah. you know, what is it? It's October okay. 11th today, but then we've had the hurricane as well, just, you know, tear through Florida and then uh, make its way up the Eastern mm -hmm. seaboard. And so then that's going to be something of course, that's going to be having an effect next year. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. I know with with more more MA plans reporting a rating this year than ever, and and more five star plans this year in voluntary disenrollment at a you know churn is just at an all time high. I mean, it's just hard hard to fit all this conversation into thirty minutes, and it's it's hard to know where to focus. Which which fire is is most uh, vital to put out for your organization is something we'll all have to decide for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've had in, in, in season one, we probably touched on disenrollment in a couple of episodes, right. Mm -hmm. And, and had some pretty, I feel like compelling discussion around and sort of breaking down the fact that, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's no barrier to switching now, right. Everyone's got access to, you know, I think the average Medicare beneficiary has access to 36 plans or something like that in their, in their zip code. Right. Um, and, most everyone in 2022 had access to a five-star plan. Um, they could switch to in the middle of the year if they wanted to, right? So just no barriers, less loyalty. So yeah, I mean, Jessica, it's, yeah. it's something we've seen a lot of plans struggle with is, you know, disenrollment. You know, we've had conversations about satisfaction doesn't equal loyalty, right? Like you can have really satisfied members, but if a competitor comes in with one really shiny, you know, object in their in their supplemental benefits, you're going to lose some people. It doesn't matter how satisfied they are. Right. So understanding that, understanding those risks, like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a huge, it needs to be a huge topic in every Medicare Advantage organization. You know, for sure. Rex, speaking of supplemental benefits, I was in disenrollment. I was just reading an article by Deft Research, a, a little blurb. And that was one of, um, for the prior year, that was one of the key drivers of disenrollment was poor experience with supplemental benefits, poorly implemented supplemental benefits and poor experience. And in the article of deaf research, they said they've never seen that make the top list of, of reasons folks were switching Medicare Advantage plans. And I thought that was so interesting and so, so spoke to the need for strong vendor oversight. And vendor management has never been more important. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah, I just think of internal tracking and the way that our CTM dashboards have evolved with the introduction of, of more uh, supplemental benefits, right? And then you can just think of those um, benefits that you have in place that are that are solid and are delivering that promise of value and then those that aren't. And, yeah. and I'd say, you know, we're in a position right now where we're, it, it really behooves all plans to sort of figure out where, where do you find that fit in terms of what members um, pride themselves on at the same time, staying in touch with innovations there, because my goodness, things are changing quickly. Right. Um, and, and so it's, it's an, it's an exciting time, but at the same time, boys are challenging, right. It's it, not just positive emotions. There's a sense of um, a lot's coming and Mick, I keep looking at you and I think about uh, Tukey. So I, I can say I've been fairly warned. Thank you, Mick. Right. <laughs> there you go. 
Okay, so any um we've gone way over our thirty five minute typical episode here, but um any anything we we uh did not talk about that we should have that you guys want to bring up real quick. Not unless you have another hour. <laughs> <laughs> Just roll right into episode two. Okay. Right. We right. I feel like we are already. We're kind of halfway through it already, probably. Okay. Then we'll uh, then, then we'll we'll end it here, knowing there's there's a lot more to talk about. Um, but yeah, we'll I'm sure we'll we'll find more opportunities. So, yeah. With that, so hey, Jessica, David, thanks for joining us again. Um, it's been fun having repeat guests over. You know, at the end of season one and the beginning of season two. I feel like this is a great start to season two. So, um, yeah. Thanks for all of our virtual attendees i don't think we don't have any questions i don't think right i was kind of watching and don't see i see a lot of chat but i don't see any questions so thanks for being engaged though and um yeah i appreciate your time so uh we will talk next time thanks everyone yeah thanks so much thank you